The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Crimatorium translates to a place where crime resides. If you like lesser-known true crime cases, take the next step and subscribe to Crimatorium from your favorite podcast app. Join me in the place where crime resides. After firing Websick, Gage needed to hire a new attorney. This is where Steve Greenberg came into the picture. Greenberg is the same lawyer who represented R. Kelly when he was facing criminal charges. Greenberg was representing uh, that singer R. Kelly at that time. So he came in. The first day he came in, uh, he filed a motion to dismiss the case that the judge denied that, but he gave him extra time to study the case and come forward. But then he said, I will set a date in the morning. You can argue whatever. And then in the afternoon, I will sentence him. So that was set for September 18th. The judge said there were no prosecutorial errors. You put on a fine show. By your own admission, defendant, there is enough evidence to find you guilty. I'm your guest host, Lisa Lillian, also known as Hungry Girl. You're listening to Speaking of Crime with Gia and John. We are so happy to have Lisa co-hosting with us this week. Head over to HungryGirl.com and check out her guilt-free recipes that are not only easy to make, but absolutely delicious. Lisa has been such a huge supporter of Speaking of Crime and an advocate for Praveen. A woman named Hallie had started to advocate for Gage's freedom. She believed that a minimum 20-year sentence was too harsh for the crime and had become an ally to Gage and his family. Back in 2019, Monica actually sat down with Hallie for an interview. This is what she had to say. How and when did you get involved with the Bethune family during the murder trial? The day of the verdict. So it wasn't like you'd followed it for years? and No. You literally, when they said guilty, is when you took attention to this. Yes. What, at that point, caught your attention and what involvement did you start having? The sentencing was a big thing for me. Um, And it was that same day I had reached out to his mom and asked if I could help in any way. Because from what you heard or knew about what was going on, what did you hear, what did you know? that you thought was wrong or that wasn't right? I never thought he was innocent. Um, I think it was more so what I did know. I didn't think it matched the sentencing at all. So you were, your issue wasn't, look, this is a completely innocent guy found guilty. It wasn't that yeah, there was a guilty not. verdict. Yeah. It was, okay, they found him guilty, but this is an extensive period of time. And I want to go ahead and talk about that because that's something 
I had no idea about till this case. Mm -hmm. um, in the state of Illinois, there's mandatory minimum sentencing of 20 years for first degree felony murder. That's crazy. Hallie created t-shirts that said, I stand with Gage, started fundraising for him, wrote letters and made phone calls to try to help Gage in any way she could. Once you got involved and you said you reached out to um, Gage Bethune's mom, what was your conversation? And from then, what were the things that you did for him or his family? To it just started off as um, just little conversations here and there. Um, and then I thought of the t-shirt fundraiser myself. I don't remember what I was raising money for, but um, I did that and from there it just took off and I got involved in a lot of other things. At what point in time did you actually meet him or talk to him or communicate with him at all? Um, after I started the shirts, I think I had just created it, um, his family had a video chat with him and had a bunch of people over and they had invited me. Um, I didn't go, I was too scared to. But it was that same evening. Scared of what? I don't know, just I didn't know them that well. I see. And I just felt uncomfortable. To be around a bunch of people you didn't yeah, know. Yeah, and I didn't know Gage that well, so I didn't want So you were helping, but you weren't like. I didn't want to intrude. Right, right, that makes sense. And um, so it was that same night, um, I was with his younger brother, we were hanging out, and uh, I got a phone call from a number I didn't know, and I answered it, and it was like, you have a phone call coming from Jackson County Jail. And I was like, what? And um, he had called to get a hold of him, but then he- Of his brother. Yeah, and then he talked to me and thanked me and everything, and then from there on out, he called me almost every single day. Okay, so you and I had talked about you were writing letters. Tell me a little bit about that. That's embarrassing. Hallie and Gage had started a relationship, albeit a strictly emotional one, since they could only talk on the phone while Gage was behind bars. You initially got a call from him saying thanks, but then it was more than just one call saying thanks. Yes. Like you guys yeah. had communication? Yeah, a lot, a lot of it. You're getting emotionally involved not just like hey i'm trying to right or wrong like i'm talking to this person every day that i'm fighting so hard for i'm getting attached attached so to speak yeah and it wasn't one-sided either so it wasn't like you were just calling him every day in jail begging no. him to take your phone call no there was a relationship transpiring mm -hmm. we can say Tell me a little bit about, as you started talking to him more and more, what was going on also with what you were doing? You said you wrote letters, like a lot of letters. Yeah, I wrote one to the president. <laughs> did you get a reply? No. <laughs> but you did write some letters that you did get replies to, and actually one in particular that might have changed the whole scheme of this, right? Yeah. So um, he had mentioned to me something about a super attorney in Chicago. So I got to look in, I just went to Google, typed in super attorneys in Chicago area. And I, I based it off of their looks, which is terrible. Oh, like, well. Okay. Well, this guy looks 
with like he might be able to do yeah. something good i mean i did research like some of the cases he had and right i'm like okay this guy's like hardcore and he essentially ended up being steve greenberg yes now our kelly attorney he might not yes. be going so hard for any of us yeah. down here anymore because like, you know yeah <laughs> so uh i wrote a letter to him um kind of telling him a little bit about what was going on and that we needed his help it was probably five to seven days after I sent the letter, I got a phone call from him. And that was not expected at all. I um, got in contact with his family and told them about him and everything. And they're like, okay, well, we'll look into it. I gave them each other's phone numbers. So you made the contact with the family. In yes. And then it was probably a week later, Gage had told me that they were gonna hire him. With Greenberg now on the case, he started to file motions and was trying to undo the justice Praveen's family had obtained so far. Greenberg was representing uh, that singer R. Kelly at that time. So he came in. The first day he came in, uh, he filed a motion to dismiss the case that the judge denied that, but he gave him extra time to study the case and come forward but then he said I will set a date in the morning you can argue whatever and then in the afternoon I will sentence him so that was set for September 18th so Robinson told us to write the victim's impact statement I did it was sent to the judge so in that statement that I wrote I wrote in there like I forgive you you know I I have to think of how Praveen would have thought. If he was alive, he would say, you know, go ahead, buddy, live your life. That's what he would have said. But I want, you are the last one to touch my my son. I want you to make something good out of this, you know. I don't want you to use this as punishment time. Use this as a repentance time. Come back and be a productive citizen. That's what I wrote. I never had a chance to read that. Hallie thought she was doing the right thing and had been the one to put the family in touch with Steve Greenberg. Between June and September of 2018, from when the jury reached a verdict to the sentencing hearing, other court proceedings took place because the defense was filing for a new trial. During those months, Hallie, along with Gage's family, had their hopes up that Gage would be let out of jail. When that didn't happen, things went awry for Hallie. We had been talking a lot every single day. So this wasn't just, hey, thanks for helping me, bye. No. Like, you're talking on the phone with him daily. Yes. Yes. Um, but the day that happened when he didn't come home. I didn't hear from him for about two weeks. And that was like a slap in the face. When was the first time that you thought something may not be right with this? I Did you ever have that? Did you ever have a whisper of? Which yes. Is, yeah. What, what was your first whisper or thought of? Um, I 
remember the night before that hearing that we were just talking about. Um, I remember I was sitting up with my mom for hours bawling to her. And I was like, what if I'm not doing the right thing? What if, you know, this is all wrong? You know, should he come home tomorrow? Will he? If he does, what's going to happen? Like, I, I think I always had that in the back of my head. What was the one thing when I did sit down with you and like show you like evidence and things? What was the one thing that shook you the most or that sticks out in your mind the most that you were like, whoa? The autopsy pictures. 100%. Because the way everything had always been explained to you, mm -hmm. it was no big deal. Yeah. And when you saw that, what did you think? It, my perspective immediately changed. Like that second. Those are rough. Mm -hmm. And there's no denying what they are. Yeah, they're haunting. They're haunting. And I showed you autopsy one, autopsy two, scene where they found them. Yeah. It's all brutal. Mm -hmm. On September 11th, Gage's defense attorneys, Stephen Greenberg and Liam Kelly, filed for a motion asking for the sentence to be vacated or for a verdict of acquittal. The motion cited improper jury instructions as the reason, which Gage's attorneys said may have led to jury confusion. Sunday in the church, we were, we were at the church, so everybody was praying for all this and all that, you know, but uh, one lady came to me and she's like, lovely something is going to happen tomorrow at this is any chance you know he said no you know everything is done he's going to be sentenced so on the way back i called robinson i said is there any anything you know like unusual that's going to happen and he's like no way he goes if something happens matthew will have to give me a cpr there you know my husband is a respiratory therapist so he's like nothing is going to happen everything is set gage is going to be sentenced you know i'm thinking because 20 was minimum 60 was maximum and he said maybe a 27 28 considering his drug dealings from the jail and all that The day of sentencing finally arrived on September 17, 2018. If you recall, Gage had lost a significant amount of weight during the trial. Well, now that the trial was over, he had gained it all back and once again looked like his old self, just as he had the night he killed Praveen. And then when we came back for the sentencing, he had gained the 40 pounds back and looked like a scary-ass man again, and nobody knew who he was. They're like, who's this guy sitting in the defense seat? And I'm like, that's him. Everybody was like, <gasps> like I have side-by-sides of at court, out of court. Wow. Like it's just shocking. The judge walked into the courtroom. Everyone was prepared to hear the sentencing. In the state of Illinois, a charge of first-degree felony murder has a mandatory 20-year sentence. So we go there the morning he sat in the court, his lawyer comes in, and Gage walks in. Oh, there was one other day right after he was 
put in jail after the verdict, the first hearing, the post-trial hearing, we go into the court. There are so many people with T-shirt that says, stand with Gage, wearing T-shirt like that. You know, this is a lawyer, his side wanting to take my son's picture off of my necklace. There's like a whole, probably 50, 60 people in I stand with Gage. Judge Clark was late to court that day. So he, and then I think some other judges in the court were so annoyed with that. And they, they were like talking in between them. So Judge Clark comes in, he has Gage walk in. So they, he wears shackles only outside. So when he comes in, he's in regular clothes, nothing. So he came in, so his side stood up when he came in, when Gage came in, everybody wearing like stand with Gage. So then the judge made a notion that this is not appreciated or something like that. That's all he said. He did not say anything much. So from the, you know, like from the beginning, my husband said, this, this judge is no good. This judge is no good. But I always thought, I mean, he was attacking Robinson all the time, but Robinson had told me the judges always go harsh on prosecution. So don't feel bad, you know? So I had that in my head, but when he did not let Robinson admit the tweet, you know, many things he wouldn't let him do. My husband was like, oh no, this guy is no good. This guy is no good. But I was always under the impression that this is how it works. So the day of sentence thing that morning, after we all sat down, the judge came into the court real early. Like he never did that. And he was putting things on the table here, there. He was kind of in a panic. And he goes back, the court was about to start and Gage comes in from the jail. He is coming in in regular clothes. He was wearing white shirt, black pants, no shackles, nothing. So I asked Robinson, I said, what is this? Why is he like this? And he's also like wondering what it is. And he's like, I don't know, I have to find out. So even before anything, the judge came in, it's like court in session, it started. And Greenberg did another motion. So this judge started talking. I have no idea what this man was saying. Only thing I remember him saying is like, one side of the courtroom is going to be upset. If you can't handle what I'm going to say, you need to leave. So I'm thinking it's Gage's side, you know? So he he's like talking all kinds of things. And I looked at Monica and she's like, it does not look good. And I, I, I'm not really understanding what he's saying. He's talking about all this, uh, the indictment and this and that and all that. And at the end he goes, there is a word in the indictment, the word is knowingly. He goes, there was no prosecutorial errors. The prosecutors presented the case very well. There was enough evidence to charge the defendant. There was enough evidence for the jury to find him guilty from the defendant's own words. So he's saying all these things and then he's saying something like so opposite, which I could not understand. Monica got up and she laughed for a while and then she came back. So he, the judge is still talking, you know, and then he said, 
the word in the indictment see that indictment was read in the court hundreds of times by this judge and and until then he did not find all this i don't know so he goes the word knowingly probably confused the jury i don't think it confused them because they if they were confused they had the opportunity to ask question twice they did but i in my opinion i don't know whether they are confused so i'm putting the verdict aside and ordering a new trial <laughs> it's like what in the world you know so there was cheers from that side and he said he will be the bond will be released he can the defendant is going to be free the judge said there were no prosecutorial errors you put on a fine show by your own admission defendant there is enough evidence to find you guilty i don't believe the jurors were confused about anything because they did ask some questions that i was able to answer however the indictment there is some wording in the indictment uh specifically a syntax issue with the word knowingly and i don't think it did confuse the jurors but i think it potentially could have and i have to decide whether or not the indictment was fatally flawed and i have decided that it is the verdict is set aside something about retrial he's free to go and everybody just was like and at that moment was the first time i ever saw weakness out of David Robinson and I think he almost collapsed because he is so astute and he is so professional and he'd worked so hard and had to go over so many hurdles to get this done get it done right he was shook so we let everybody else go and then he came down and knelt down by lovely she was holding him up she said it's okay it's okay they told us they were going to do this we cannot thank you i was like you are our hero till we die you came in you took a good look at it you saw that a crime had been committed you jumped through a million hurdles like the sheriff wouldn't even deliver his subpoenas for the grand jury like it was fucking disgusting they were going to try to give him tickets for where he was parking they slapped him with this verdict at the end and overruled the jury do you know if he had any relation to the judge at all or anyone else behind the scenes on this case <clears throat> I don't I don't think that he did. Um however, whenever you go listen to what the judge had written down that day, it was prepared. The judge came in there and prior to that moment, he had always been very what I considered at the time fair. He would listen to both sides. He would make decisions, okay, you cannot admit this, you could not admit that, and I sincerely thought Okay, this is going in the direction it should. Everybody's getting their fair chance here, but the day he came in that was supposed to be sentencing, as soon as I saw Gage walk in with street clothes, I go something's wrong. Something's wrong and I just felt sick. And the judge was the same human body that day, but it was a different entity in his body and I know that sounds weird, but he everything he had done prior all the fairness all the time he took all the letting the defense and the prosecution you know air their grievances and argue back and forth it didn't happen
Judge Mark Clark presided over the two-week jury trial that ended in the first-degree murder conviction of Gage Bethune, who was 24 years old at the time. But then, Judge Clark set aside that verdict and ordered Gage to be set free, and did so because of a syntax error. One simple word or the placement of a comma in the indictment. The judge stated that the indictment could have been drafted with better words. The language in question was the word knowingly in the following excerpt. Gage Bethune committed the offense of first-degree murder in that he, in committing or attempting to commit a forcible felony with an independent felonious purpose, namely aggravated battery in violation of 720-ILCS-512-3.05-A1, battery which caused great bodily harm or permanent disability or disfigurement other than by the use of a firearm without lawful justification, knowingly made a physical contact of an insulting or provoking nature, inflicting by defendant's own statement multiple punches to the head and face, rendering the victim dead weight. The judge did not even discuss it between the lawyers or anything, what he was going to do. The craziest thing was there was no argument that day in court. The judge came prepared for this. He came with those papers and he read it. It's not something that happened in the court that day that there were arguments between the lawyers and then he listened and he made a judgment. No, he came prepared. That we later on found out that the judge had called the, court, the jail and told them to bring him in street clothes. We asked Monica what she was thinking when the judge overturned the guilty verdict. Okay, so it was a shock, but it wasn't. The reasons it, I think maybe it wasn't is because several protocols they didn't follow for Gage. Any person in jail awaiting trial or, can, or um, accused of murder of any sort is marched right in and out of front of that courthouse, black, white, whatever you are. They would walk Gage in the back. You know, when they turned, when he turned himself in, they didn't get to arrest him. Like they babied him all the way through. So whenever it was sentencing day, and after they'd already tried to add two sentencing by showing that he was like selling the drugs in jail and all that, and the judge wasn't hearing any of it, I was like, this is not good. Um, he came in in street clothes, unshackled on sentencing day. And I said, this isn't good. And the judge did a spiel. And for what it's worth, I feel like the judge was very thorough and fair throughout the trial. I still say that I'm not mad at him for that. Either he emotionally could identify with Gage as a son more than Praveen, or he was told, you will do this. It's one or the other. It wasn't because of merit or any law on the books. And he knows that. Um, what kind of said, oversight is there for something like that? When a judge takes it into his hands after a jury has spoken, what kind of oversight is there to ensure that the judge didn't act emotionally? I don't think there is one on the books. And that's what's so scary about, you know, whether it's the state's attorney or the judge, they just have so much power, no checks and balances against them. It was legal and lawful what he did. It was not morally okay. So... Lovely. When when they when the judge overturned the guilty verdict in that moment, what were you thinking? I was like shocked, you know, like 
I was like, well, what is this? You know, and I, I thought if Robinson had a clue, he would have told us that there was something going to happen. He had no idea. So I, I'm just sitting there so shocked, so blank. But when he said retrial, my husband and I were looked at, the, you know, they, we were looking at each other. And my husband, husband goes, my God, Robinson has to do this all over again. You know, so we were so much more worried about Robinson doing this all over again than anything else. That that was a moment, you know, that you you can't explain. You are kind of numb. You know, you you have so much. I mean, we were treated so bad, but you have some kind of trust in the system, and you think justice is finally served. And it, the, I always tell the story, you know, Indian media was following this case so much. Um, so I was getting calls from India and they, they don't have jury system in India. So I was explaining to them in the beginning, oh, this is the best system, you know, like they, they, don't, they can't change this, this is the best and all that. So after this happened, they're like, so now what, what happened? So, you know, like I felt like this was such a slap on the jury's face. You know, they all sat there two weeks. It was such an emotional trial. It's not an easy trial. It's not a theft or robbery or whatever. This is a murder trial. You're sitting there two weeks out of their personal time they spend on it. And the judge who is supposed to protect the jury turns around and slaps on them. And I thought, so I was feeling bad for Robinson. I was feeling bad for the jury. I wasn't feeling bad for ourselves. I felt like we got what we needed, you know. I wanted to hear from Gage's mouth that he did it. We got it. And he spent three months in jail. Did he learn a lesson? No. So if he, if he goes out and does something like this, my part is done. I did my job. I did whatever I could to get this boy, you know, cleaned up. Monica, did you have any indication or a hunch that the judge might overturn the jury's verdict? From the very beginning of Vordir, where they were picking the jury, until the day that was supposed to be the day and the time that the judge sentenced Gage Bethune to prison, I absolutely felt like he was fair, as fair as he could be. I felt like he was holding the defense and the prosecution to the same standards. Whenever we found out during the voir dire that there was some screwy stuff going on, that they had like the fake defense attorney co-counsel's sister on there and stuff like that. I truly believe the judge wasn't aware of that. And I absolutely was in shock and awe the day he let him go. I was absolutely blown away. Blown the fuck away. I could not believe what was happening. How do you think they came up with the syntax error excuse? Do you think the judge came up with that? Absolutely. Because... In the very beginning, the original state's attorney told Lovely, I'm not pressing charges on this boy. Anything you do, I will undo. 
and he made a promise and he kept it. In the very end, David Robinson is the only one that wasn't playing the game, going along with, there's nothing wrong, Gage did nothing wrong, there's no charges. Our one good guy, David, who basically was the only one that did his job and followed the law at that point in time, he came down, he checked the evidence, he knew a crime had been committed, and he took it to court and he gave Praveen his day in court, and they had a trial, which is what should have happened in the beginning. David humiliated Jackson County. David humiliated Mike Carr, and he basically made them all mad. So that was a document that David Robinson created. The indictment comes from the prosecuting attorney, and he's the special appellate prosecutor from Springfield, higher up than the people around here. He came down with that document, and that's the document they attacked. So that was their slap back in his face. Fuck you for fucking with us. Without a doubt, without a doubt. In news reports, Lovely was quoted as saying, When you come from another country, you think everything in America works perfect. But my experience proved to the Indian community that there are big, big holes in the justice system. There's a lot of corruption. There are a lot of things that happen in third world countries that happen here too. The entire ordeal is so hard to wrap your mind around. From the very beginning, it leads to more questions than answers. Why would the Carbondale Police Department want to hide the fact that Praveen was murdered? Why would they not tell the family that the tipster was Gage's cousin? Why would Michael Carr not want to prosecute the murderer? Why would a judge overturn the jury's verdict? Nothing adds up and nothing was done with fairness or justice in mind. But Lovely explains it all in one simple sentence. They did not want a white boy behind bars for killing a brown boy. If you're interested in this story and you want to know more about the case, you can check out our social media pages. We will be sharing videos of the police interviews, photos, and documents from the case. We are at Speaking of Crime on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and at Crime Speaking on Twitter. Please help us share Praveen's story. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off 
buy rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill.